0: What's gone wrong? When God made the world, Genesis says he saw that it was very good. The story of creation takes us on that tour of the sun and the stars, the oceans and trees, the land, the sky, the animals, the fish, the birds. Whenever uh, you watch a David Attenborough show, you see the stunning work that God did in making his world. But as well as that glory... There's also a lot of garbage, a lot of mess. The environment is getting in a mess. Our relationships, our politics, our morals are a mess. And deep inside my heart, there's a mess. What's gone wrong? How did it get this way? Because it's not how God made it or how he intended it to be. Such a common question, isn't it? If, if God is good, if God is love, why is there so much wrong with the world? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there sin? Well, we saw last week that at the very centre of God's creation in the Garden of Eden, at the place where heaven and earth met, Adam and Eve made a disastrous choice. God told Adam, that he must not eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. But then came the serpent, Satan, and told Eve a lie. He claimed that the fruit would make her wise, but it wouldn't kill her. He contradicted God. And instead of immediately referring back to God's authoritative command, Eve made her own assessment of the fruit and concluded that the serpent was right, that God was wrong, and that she could eat, become wise, and not die. Adam and Eve chose to make themselves the authority on what is right and wrong. They sided with Satan. They rebelled against God, and the results have been catastrophic. We saw last week how it immediately affected Adam and Eve's relationship with God and with one another, how they began to feel guilt and shame. Today, we're going to look at God's response and we'll see that he responds with justice, but also with mercy. The death sentence is applied, but there's hope of a resurrection. Let's begin by looking at God's justice. We're going to look at what he says to the serpent, what he says to Eve and to Adam, and what happens next. First, then the serpent, who God curses. Have a look with me at verse 14 on page 5. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you. Above all the livestock and wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will bite his heel. And what God says to the serpent here also, of course, applies to Satan. Satan is under God's curse. And that is shown by subjecting him to eat dust. It's a sentence of humiliation. Verse 15, it talks about crushing his head, we'll come back to that a bit later on. Let's Let's now look at what God says to Eve in verse 16. He doesn't curse Eve, which might look like, for example, preventing her from having children. That would be a curse on Eve. But he does say he will greatly increase her pain in childbearing. Her distinctive role as a, as a woman was to be the one who gave birth to the next generation of the human race. a Very important role she had. Carrying out that role will now come with a reminder of her sin in the form of pain. And whenever women give birth, that pain is felt. The reminder of Eve's sin is experienced, even if it is dulled a bit by modern painkillers. And as well as pain in childbearing, Eve will experience struggle in her marriage. Have a look with me at the top of page six. God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Which means, uh, what I mean is that your desire will be for your husband. means rather than submitting to Adam's lead, Eve's going to have this desire to rebel and fight against her husband. And in return, instead of serving his wife with love, Adam will respond with domination. And this struggle can be found more or less in all marriages. It's why the New Testament insists husbands must serve their wives and wives must respect their husbands. Because sin makes us do the opposite. We've got to fight the effects of the fall. And then, thirdly, we come to Adam. And this time, there is another curse but it's the ground that God curses. Verse 17, if you're following along, God said, "'Cursed is the ground because of you. "'Through painful toil you will eat of it "'all the days of your life. "'It will produce thorns and thistles for you, "'and you will eat the plants of the field.'" Adam was given a garden to tend, filled with fruit trees. Now he's reduced from tending to tilling. Now his food will come from the fields. He has to plant it and grow it himself. But unlike the rich earth of the garden, the ground Adam has to farm will be tough. Eve's pain is in childbearing. Adam's pain is in digging. Now it'll take hard labour and sweat to provide food for his family. The ground was made to be his home, but now it resists him every weed, every thorn, a reminder of his rebellion. Work itself is a good thing. God designed us to be people who work and are creative and productive. But when you look around the world and see people earning their crust by hard labor, painful slog, years of toil, this is why. Because by his sin, Adam forfeited the blessings of the garden. So farming will be toilsome. But that's not all. For all his toiling to eat food from the ground, in the end, it'll be the ground that swallows Adam. Verse 19, God says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. There's the death penalty the most beautiful, complex, and glorious thing in all God's creation, Adam and Eve, will be reduced to ash. Many of you were here when this church was built, when the wonderful woodwork was installed, when all the electrics were wired in, and the heating, and the lighting, and then came the opening service, and the bishop came. Everything was complete. Imagine you'd come in the next week, to find a team of men with wrecking balls, smashing the whole thing down and turning it into rubble. Well, that's what will happen to Adam. Now what happens to every human being made to rule, reduced to dust. Death is God's sentence on Adam and on Eve and on you and on me. We're like cut flowers, beautiful for a while. Then the wrinkles and the blemishes appear, then it wilts, and eventually it's composted. God made the world to be a garden, but now it's a graveyard. In a hundred years' time, the entire current population of Earth will be dead. Eight billion humans, reduced to dust. That's the sentence for sin or part of it, because there's more. Before their physical death comes, there's Adam and Eve's spiritual death. Look with me at verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. But when there's a whole world out there, why does that matter? It matters because the garden was God's temple, God's palace, God's house, and they were thrown out They cannot be with God anymore. Their sin has disqualified them. It's not possible for them to be close to him anymore. He is the source of life and light and joy and peace and blessing, and he's driven them away. It was a long time till Adam and Eve lost their biological life, but they lost their spiritual life the very same day they sinned. And God put cherubim and a sword at the gate of the garden to prevent them ever getting back in. And every human being since has been born outside of the garden. We're not like Adam. We don't all get a go in the garden to see if we'll succeed where Adam failed. No, his failure has condemned us all. We're all born outside the garden, all born spiritually dead. And by nature, we all sin. We've got Adam's sin written all over us. And when spiritual and physical death combine, you get what the Bible calls the second death or eternal death, permanent exclusion from God's presence forever and ever and ever. That is the outcome of Adam's sin. Nevertheless, we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 these words, Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Sin, judgment and death is not the end of the story. And it's not all there is, even in the verses we're looking at today. As well as God's judgment and justice We see in Genesis 3, God's mercy and his grace. And we see it in two ways. We see his mercy and grace in physical death itself and in God's delaying of physical death. Let's start with the delaying of physical death. Why didn't God cause Adam and Eve's death right there and then and just wind up the whole of creation? Because he always knew that they would sin and he always planned to rescue them. And the delay enables the rescue because it enables Adam and Eve to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on and on until the arrival of one great-great-great-great grandchild in particular, Jesus. Look with me back near the start of our reading, chapter three, verse 15. It's the verse I said we'd come back to. And as I read it, ask yourself, whose side is God on? See, we sided with Satan. You think God would be against us, but who does God side with? God said to the serpent, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. After all we've seen, you really might think God is against us. But right here, we see that God is against Satan. He's going to see to it that Satan's head is crushed. But the one to crush Satan's head will be a descendant, an offspring of Eve. God is promising to give us the victory. He's promising to take us back and help us win. He's on our side. And the one who will crush Satan's head and get wounded in the process is Jesus. God delayed the biological death that uh, that Adam and Eve and every human being deserves so that Jesus could come. We see his mercy then in the delaying of death. And we also see it in death itself. Adam and Eve can't remain in the Garden of Eden because of their sin. But there's also another reason why they can't remain because in the garden is that tree called the tree of life. Don't know much about uh, this tree, but the point seems to be that if Adam and Eve keep eating from it, they can live forever. But if they lived forever, there would be no end of sin. Imagine if Hitler lived forever. Imagine if Stalin lived forever. Imagine if all the warmongers, violent racists, swindlers, cheaters, abusers, all lived forever. Imagine sin could not be stopped. What a world it would be. God's death sentence is good because it puts a limit on sin. God's wrath is good because it's the power that can bring an end to evil. It's what rescues us from sin and evil. So justice and mercy demand that sinners die and that means God's plan to give Eve's offspring the victory requires a resurrection salvation in the Bible isn't God rescuing us from dying salvation in the Bible is God raising us from the dead spiritually and physically and that's precisely what Jesus achieved How pleased Satan must have been as that Roman death squad marched Jesus out of Jerusalem and up to Golgotha to crucify him. How pleased Satan must have been to crush the man who came to crush him. But what Satan failed to see is that when Jesus died, his death was unique. It was unique because everyone else died for their own sins. But Jesus never sinned. He had no sins to die for. When he died, like a spotless lamb in the Old Testament, it was as a sacrifice for our sins. He died to suffer the punishment of eternal death we deserved. And that means that now God is justified when he justifies sinners. God is in the right when he acquits people who are in the wrong. When I put my trust in Jesus and asked for forgiveness, God did nothing wrong when he forgave me because my sins have already been paid for. The punishment has been served on Jesus who gave his life for me. And once the sentence had been fully carried out, he was laid in the tomb. He suffered death like Adam but he could not remain dead. Having paid for sins, God raised him to life, not back to life like a resuscitation. No, Jesus was raised up into the life of the age to come, a new age where Satan has no power, where there's no such thing as sin, where all things are being made new. And to crown it all, to top it all off, to bring things full circle, 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven, the first man since Adam to walk back into God's house, to re-enter the place of God's presence. And that is where Jesus is right now, ruling over God's creation and resting in God's presence, just as God planned for us in the beginning. The eternal future of humanity is secure. And Jesus will open the gate to all who trust in him. Would you please turn with me to the final uh, page of the Bible? we're looking again at that passage in Revelation chapter 22. Um, I'd like you all to turn to I'll give you a, a just pause for a moment to give everyone a chance to have it open in front of us. Revelation 22, page 1250 Revelation chapter 22, and as we read this, we're entering into the vision of the future given to the Apostle John. Verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The Garden of Eden, population two, has become a city, population millions where we will see God face to face once more and eat from the tree of life, all thanks to Jesus. And I could finish there, but we mustn't forget that Genesis 3 is written to warn us, to warn us that without a savior, what follows from sin is death. And so we must all be sure that we haven't just heard of Jesus, but have actually put our trust in him and come to him For forgiveness and for salvation. Look just across the page at verse 14 of Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Have you got the right? Have you washed your robes? Have you accepted that you are dead in your sins? Have you admitted that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness? And have you personally asked Jesus to forgive you? Lent's a good time to ask ourselves those questions because verse 15, outside, forever and ever and ever are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, everyone who serves the lie and hasn't responded to the truth. And then Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony to the churches. These are his words, don't be left outside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your justice and your mercy. Thank you that you do not let sin have a place forever in your world. Thank you that you have the power to overcome all evil and make your world new. And thank you that you have made a way for us sinners to live in your new creation and to see you face to face. Thank you that Jesus died the death that we deserved so that now our death is the gateway into eternal life with you. Pray for ourselves, that that truth would fill our hearts with joy and confidence daily. Pray for this church, that it would be the message on our lips. We need a saviour, that we're all sinners, but you are a loving and faithful God. Your promises do not fail, and in you there is the hope of salvation, resurrection, and eternal life. Amen.